Good morning, everyone. So, if you could get any superhero power, which one would you pick? Flying. Invisible. Maybe you will like the Superman's ability to fly or his X-ray vision or amazing speed like the Flash. Maybe you want supernatural power like the Hulk. Or maybe you just want to have the wrists. <laughs> now, if you don't know what that is, I'll explain. The wrist is teenager slang word for having charisma. That's the power to charm someone that you like. Well, that's not really superhero power, right? Is it? Maybe it is. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So in any case, <laughs> superhero powers are fictional. They are imaginary. They are not real. But today, we're going to read about someone that has real supernatural power. He can say a powerful word to heal someone with a terminal disease. He can say a powerful word of command to actually raise people from the dead. This person is Jesus. Jesus has a powerful word to heal the sick and to raise the dead. And the passage that we're going to read today calls us to humbly believe that, to humbly believe that Jesus has a powerful word to heal the sick and to raise the dead. Now, we are in the midst of a series that talks about the power and the preaching of Jesus, and it's based on the book of Luke. And today, we're going to be reading the first part, the first 17 verses of chapter 7 of the Gospel of Luke. So if you please open your Bibles in Luke chapter 7, we'll start reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. After he had finished, this is Jesus, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority 
with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crown that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Verse 11, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young men, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him is spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you in humility, recognizing that perhaps these words are sometimes hard to believe for some of us. But by your spirit, I plead, would you fill us with the power of your spirit so our eyes may be able to see your glory? Would you grant us the gift of faith so as we proclaim your word, our eyes will be open to your truth? We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we will divide the message in two sections based on the two stories that we just read. In the first section, we'll cover verses 1 through 10, and we'll speak about the power of the Word of Jesus, who is able to heal the sick. In the second part, in the second section, we will cover verses 11 through 17, and we'll talk about his powerful word to raise the dead. So let's start with section number one, a word that heals the sick. Now, in this story, there is a prominent character besides Jesus. That is the centurion. Now, we're going to spend some time painting the picture of his character, getting to know the centurion. Specifically, we want to find out why is it that Jesus marvels at this centurion. So keep that in mind as we walk through the verses. So let's go back to verse 2 of chapter 7. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. 
Now, what exactly is a centurion? In the times of Jesus, a centurion was a commander of 100 soldiers in the Roman army. The equivalent in our times will be like saying that he was a captain of a company in the U.S. Army. So he had a hundred men under his command. If you recall history, the Roman Empire had been expanding through the geographic area and, and he, it, it had been conquering many countries and many nations, including the nation of Israel. The Roman army had a strong presence in all these areas to make sure that people knew who was in charge. And therefore, the army was sometimes very forceful and even brutal. After all, they were the conquerors. Now, the centurion of our story uh, had not only soldiers under his command, he also had slaves or servants. And one of them was so sick that the word says he was almost at the point of death. Now, for a typical centurion, that's not a big deal. He's just a servant for him. He's just a slave for him. It's, in those times, it's kind of like part of his assets. So a typical centurion will not be concerned about that. However, the centurion of her story is, is far from a typical centurion. He was actually very concerned for his slave. In fact, the Bible says that he highly valued him. The centurion highly valued his slave. He considered the life of his slave precious. The centurion honored, respected, and highly valued the life of his servant. Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. As you can see here, the centurion values the life of his slave so much that he sends Jewish leaders to ask Jesus to come so he can heal his servant, so he can save him, rescue him from death. Now, if a boss cares about his employee in that way, even in our times, that will be something not that common. If you get sick, would you have your boss so concerned about you that he's not only worried about your health, but he's also looking for the doctor that can heal you? Because of the pandemic, I've been working from home several years, but now my company wants us all to go back to the office. So a few weeks uh, ago, I received an email that said something like this. We are so excited that all of you are coming back to the office, and we welcome you to the office, but not your germs. So if you're sick, please stay home and get better. Obviously, they want me to be back at the office, but if I'm sick, I should better stay home. And there's good reasons why they want that, right? But this centurion is actually a boss that cares for his servant very much. Not only wants him healthy, 
As I mentioned before, he's also looking for someone that will heal him. Now, why is it that the centurion sends the elders of the Jews to talk to Jesus? Why doesn't he go himself and tell Jesus that he wants that? We'll know about that soon. But for now, verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. These are the, the elders of the Jews. They pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built us our synagogue. Now the elders of the Jews are pleading with Jesus. They are begging him. They are telling him that the centurion is worthy to have Jesus doing this miracle. Now, that is shocking. When most centurions will use their position to lord over the conquered nations, this centurion actually loves the nation of Israel. And that's exactly why these elders are, are telling Jesus, he is worthy of you doing this. He loves our nation. Now, I know that many times we use phrases as we speak very lightly. Many times I heard people, including myself, saying to their friends, man, I love you. I love you, man. But would you demonstrate your love for your friend by paying off his whole house? Would you do that? I mean, with the prices of the houses and the interests of today, I, I doubt that you would do that. You say, I love you, man, but not that much. <laughs> and yet this centurion, he loves Israel so much that he spends his time, his energy, and money to build them a whole synagogue. That's a big building where the Jews can congregate and worship. And in doing so, the centurion gains the respect of these elders, and they are willing to represent him and advocate for him before Jesus. But let's move on. Verse 6. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Now, now it becomes clear why the centurion did not go to Jesus in the first place. It was not that the centurion was very busy and didn't have time. It was not that he, had, that he thought that he had enough power to demand that Jesus will do this for him. It was actually because he did not presume that he was worthy enough to have Jesus under his roof. Even though, naturally speaking, he is part of the Roman Empire. He's part of the winning team. Somehow, he does not consider himself worthy of Jesus coming under his roof. And that's why he sends the elders of the Jews he does not feel that he's worthy enough to be in front of Jesus, and he sends 
the elders of the Jews. But not only that, he actually truly believes that Jesus has enough power to say a word and heal his servant. Say a word. He, 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 he knows that he can do it without even touching the servant. Now, imagine for a moment that you are at the verge of death. And you call your doctor. And you tell him, hi, Mr. Doctor, I'm really bad. I'm about to die. Would you please say a word through the phone and heal me so I may not die? Would you do that? No, that will not happen. He cannot heal you. In fact, the secretary will first answer, and she will tell you that you need an appointment. And then she will let you know that it's six months until the next appointment comes. And then when you tell her and you start complaining that you're about to die, she will say, well, then go to the ER, right? A doctor cannot heal you by the power of his word. But here, the centurion is convinced that if Jesus says a word, his servant will be healed. Now, why does he believe that? Listen to the reasoning of the centurion. Verse 8, for I too am a man set under authority, he says, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. That's the logic of the centurion. I am a man under authority, he says, and I have hundreds of soldiers under my authority. I do understand how the chain of authority works. When the superior says, come, go, do, what do the subjects do? They come, go, and do. If the emperor asks me to jump, I do not question his request. I just say, how high, my king? The higher the rank, the more power and less questioning. The, one, the ones who are powerful just need to wish, and things happen. That's even true in our time. Now, this centurion could have gone to the greatest and the best Roman physicians and doctors, but he doesn't do that. He chooses to humbly appeal to Jesus. In the eyes of the world, Jesus was just an itinerant, unknown preacher. But this centurion goes to Jesus because he understands authority and power. And surprisingly, he knows that Jesus has the highest authority and power, more than any human doctor. He knows that Jesus rules over sickness and death. Just say the word, he says, Jesus. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. 
he humbly and firmly believes that the powerful word of Jesus can heal his servant and save him from dying. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, how many times have you read in the Bible that Jesus marvels at somebody? Not that many times. Jesus marvels because this centurion has a simple and humble faith. He marvels because he has not found that type of faith even among his own people, Israel. This centurion is humble enough to recognize that Jesus is Lord, to believe in him, to surrender to the authority of Jesus, and to have faith that this Jesus, this Lord, can actually heal his servant. And Jesus does it. Verse 10, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus hears the petition of this humble, pagan, Roman centurion. And he says the word. And the servant is healed. He's saved from death. Instantaneously, without going to the house, without seeing him, without touching him, he says the word and he heals him. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the universe into being, the one who formed the body of the slave, in the womb of his mother. He knows what sickness he has. He knows what has gone wrong. And he has the absolute authority over that sickness. And he's the one who can say with infinite authority, come and go and do. And as he says, his omnipotent, unstoppable word of command, the servant, survives and lives and he's healed. The question is, what about you? Do you believe that Jesus can heal the sick? Do you actually believe that? Are you humble enough to believe that Jesus has the power to say a word and restore what is broken? Do you know enough about this Jesus? Enough about his power, his authority, his omnipotence? Do you have faith like the centurion 
a belief that produces a humble attitude before Jesus, a respect, an admiration, and fear that leads you to submit, to surrender, and to bow down before the King, before the Lord, before Jesus. For the purpose of this passage is to call you and me to do that, to humbly believe that Jesus has a powerful word to heal the sick and to raise the dead. That's point number two, section number two, a word that raises the dead. Verse 11, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. The healing of the centurion had happened in a town called Capernaum. And now Jesus moves from Capernaum to a different city, which is called Nain. That's kind of like saying he went from Gaithersburg to Germantown. Now, why does the Bible take the time to, to explicitly mention these cities? It's because this is not a tale. This is not a make-up story. This is not a fable. These places are real. You can go back and, and see in the map where those places are. This is a real story of real power, of real healing. Verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. As Jesus approaches the town gate, there is a funeral. There's a large crowd that are going in a procession, a widow is mourning the death of her only child. Now, if you live in the times of Jesus and you're a widow, that means obviously your husband has died and you have like this widow, just one son, that son is the source of your provision. He's the one who will work to provide for you. So what does this mean for the widow? She has no husband, and now her son has died. She sat weeping because of the death of her son, and perhaps she's also contemplating the dire future that awaits for her. Verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. As Jesus ponders about her situation, he's moved. Jesus is moved to have compassion for her the omnipotent creator of the universe looks at the suffering of this vulnerable widow and he has compassion on her. 
and as he perhaps wipes the tears from her face, he tells her, do not weep. Do not cry. Do not mourn the death of your son. I am here. I'll fix this. What happens next is actually remarkable, to say the least. Verse 14, then he came up and touched the beer, and the bears stood still. And he said, young men, I say to you, arise. And the dead men sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now think, think about the scene for a moment. You are in a funeral. Somebody that is young has just died. And you see somebody coming, perhaps a doctor or somebody, and he says, stop the funeral, stop weeping. And then he calls the dead to arise. Have you ever been in a funeral like that? <laughs> I have not. That doesn't happen all that often, right? But that's exactly what happens here. If you were in a funeral, and I've been to some of them, and all of a sudden you see the dead person sitting down and speaking, I think I will start running out, pulling my hair, freaking out, or maybe standing paralyzed as my brain tries to process what in the world happened. You do not have doctors walking in funerals, raising people from the dead. For that matter, you don't have politicians doing that either. Not even rocket scientists, they don't do that. Mother Teresa, the Pope, Buddha, or Gandhi, none of them. They cannot do that. But here we have Jesus, the Son of God, filled with divine power, a power that is greater than a billion nuclear bombs, a, a power that is greater than a myriad burning stars. He has the power to raise the dead. He can say, young men, I say to you, arise. And as he commands, the dead cells of the young dead men start connecting again. His word, the word of Jesus, produces such an electric shock against the heart of the dead man, so to speak, that the heart starts pumping blood again, and the lungs inflate with oxygen, and the tongue of the dead man starts moving, and he sits down and starts speaking. So... Verse 16, fear seized them all, and they glorified God. This story is so shocking 
that what produces in people is fear, it's amazement, it's worship, all of this together. These two stories tell about the omnipotent, unstoppable authority of the word of Jesus, able to heal the sick and to raise the dead. Now, Jesus brought the kingdom of God with miracles of healing and resurrections. He came announcing great good news of hope to a broken world devastated by sin. He came to eradicate sickness and death, both physical and spiritual. He came to die so you and I may be healed, so you and I may never die. The physical healing and resurrection, those are real miracles, and they point to profound spiritual realities. This room is filled with miracles of healing and resurrection. I have a special view from here, but if you don't mind, look around for a second. Look at the person that is beside you or in front of you or behind you. Many of them were sick and dead, really dead. But now they are alive. Let's take one of them. My brother Dave Harmon here, I ask him permission to say this. He was lost in darkness. He was a slave of the pleasures of this earth. He was trapped and dead to God with no hope and no one with enough power to rescue him. Until one day, Jesus, Jesus called him and said, Dave, I say to you, arise. And a spiritual life filled his heart of stone, and he was born to God. Jesus commanded him to arise, and his eyes were open, and he saw Jesus. And now he's here. And the same thing happened to many of you. That happened to Ben. That happened to Jamie. That happened to Clara. That happened to Joe. That happened to Carolina. And to many of us, when Jesus called us by name, we are raised from the dead. When Jesus calls us, his word is omnipotent, inescapable, unstoppable, irresistible. When Jesus commanded the young men of chapter 7 in Luke I tell you, say to you, young man, arise. The, the young man didn't say, no, I'm dead. Leave me alone. <laughs> he didn't say, oh, Lord, I'm tired. Please, no. He didn't say, I don't really even believe in you that you can do this. I'm dead. Well, that's the point. He was dead. There was no conscience in him. He was totally dead. He didn't have will. But Jesus commanded him to arise. And when he does that, the dead people arise, and they do. He can say, go, and come, and arise, and his creation obeys. 
the dead come to life. Some of you are dead today, spiritually dead. But Jesus, who does not change, he's the same in the time of Luke, today and tomorrow. And his power does not fade or diminish. The Jesus who raised the dead young men and many of us is calling to you. Arise, arise, he says. Can you hear his voice? Can you hear his command? Arise and come to life, respond to his calling, acknowledge him and surrender before his power, his authority, his glory, his majesty, his omnipotence. Because we are called to humbly believe that Jesus has a powerful word to heal the sick, to raise the dead. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you, by your power, will, will call these people that are dead today here, or even the ones who are seeing the, the streaming, Lord. You know them. I don't, but you know them, and you have compassion over them. And you, in your power, and in your love, and in your compassion and mercy, have been calling them. I pray that by your Spirit, they will respond to your call, and that they will come to life to see you. As for us, Lord, I pray that we will believe and have a humble faith to acknowledge who you are, to know that you can heal the sick, that you can raise the dead, both at a physical level but also on a spiritual level. And I pray that you will fill us with your power so, so we may have faith to believe in you. Would you do that for us, Lord? Because we need you. We are weak. We are faithless. But you are powerful and mighty and great. And we pray to you. Amen.